Good evening. Thanks for coming back. Wow. Gluttons for punishment. Younger people? Yay, kids are here to talk about dinosaurs. Are you ready to talk about the dinosaurs? I don't know if I'm ready. I'm working on it. Well, I remember I was confused about the dinosaurs, and uh, when I was like seven years old, my parents took me to a dinosaur museum in, I think we were in Wyoming, visiting my uncle, way out in Wyoming. And we walked in the front door, and I remember they opened the door, and there's this big T-Rex mouth with the big teeth like right there. And I grabbed my mom, I wanted to crawl up onto her shoulders. I thought, this is scary, what is this? And I didn't know what it was. It's like, I guess it's the bones of a dead animal, but uh, it's not any kind of animal I recognize. It's not in my backyard. I said, Mom, what is this? And, um, <clears throat> and she, said, she said, well, it's called a dinosaur. Okay, are they all gone? Please let them be all gone. This is too scary. Well, how did it get here? I mean, even as a seven-year-old, I was really curious. Like, how did this get here? Where did it go? When was it alive? I wanted to know even back then. So I said, how did that get here? When, when was this alive? And so my mom said, well, let's ask the museum people. So we went over to the museum people, and my son has a question. Um, where did they come from? You know, this a little kid. And, and she said, the first time, and I, and I remember, the, the, this was it. This is what set the stage of what I was to believe for the next decades of my life. These are dinosaurs, and they evolved from reptiles millions of years ago, and these fossils formed deep underground, and it took millions of years to turn the bones into rock. It's just rocks in the shape of the bones, and that's what we call a fossil. Okay, and so I believed it. But then I grew up, and I went to college, and I started following the Lord Jesus, and I started reading the Bible, and I started finding that there's a whole different history of origins in our scriptures. And I started reading Genesis, and it says, creatures reproduce according to their kinds. And then, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not the same as what the lady at the museum told me when I was seven, or the movie told me when I was watching a Hollywood movie, or what my parents told me, or my teachers told me. They all said, everyone knows, and science has proven that reptiles evolved into dinosaurs over millions of years. You go from, and then now they're saying that dinosaurs evolved into birds. Wow. Now that's morphing or changing between kinds, but the scripture says within kinds, according to kinds. That's, a, that's like the opposite message. And then the one says, I'm reading along, it says day one, day two, day three, six days of creation. Well, that can't be right because the world has proven that there's millions of years here, but that's not in the Scripture either. And we've got death before sin in the world's historical system, but in the Bible there's death after sin, death because of sin. Man, I got some real issues to work out here with these dinosaurs. What am I going to do? Well, I decided to get down to the bottom of it because I wanted to know who to trust. Who should I trust? The world? What the professors say? Hollywood movies? Or should I trust this Bible and what God has said? I really wanted to know. So in my investigation, I turned over some leaves and dug, dug some fossils myself and and considered what they implied and what, they, what I was looking at, and I've distilled all these considerations down to five dinosaur details, and I think that by the end you'll agree with at least the idea that this, it's, reasonable, it's reasonable to have dinosaurs fit into biblical history, and actually some of these details point to the Bible's history as being correct and the world's version of ancient history to be really just wrong. So, here's our first dinosaur detail. It's clever design. Is that what it shows up there? Hey, clever design. Good. Clever design. Well, if this happened naturally from fish that evolved into some kind of fishibian to an amphibian to a whatever else, then a reptile, then a dinosaur, then we should have lots of accidents and mistakes and we should have lots of, uh, in fact, one guy told me that once. He, 
I, I presented on dinosaurs in a church years ago, and he came right down the center and said, I disagree with what you said about dinosaurs. And I said, well, on what basis do you disagree? And he said, well, I, I, I think that there's lots of misshapen body parts on dinosaurs. They had, they had um, I think they were all messed up. Their bodies were all messed up. Well, which bodies? Which dinosaurs? Well, I'll, it's on the Internet. <laughs> he said it's on the Internet. I said, well, well, where do you think dinosaurs came from? And he said, I, I think the devil made the dinosaurs. The devil made the dinosaurs? Now, Lord bless you if you're in here and you believe the devil made the dinosaurs, but last time I checked Scripture, the only thing the devil can make is a big, fat mess. Um, so we do see, and so I went back. I went to his website, and I was like, this is, yeah, this is what the worst that the interweb can offer is what this page is. Uh, so anyway, I thought, well, let me look at some real, actual dinosaur anatomy. That's the structure of how the body is built. So here I am at the Denver Museum of Natural History, by the way. Natural history, what is that? Nature doesn't give us history. Records give us history. Get our history from the Bible, not from rocks. Rocks are just interpreted, but the Bible is actually words. Anyway, and this is, um, this is one of these big, long-necked, long-tailed dinosaurs that we all call sauropod. So say sauropod. Sauropod. Uh, dinosaur. So you have to take like multiple photographs with your little camera and then stitch them, sort of overlap them. That's, that's what I did here. And I'm looking at, the, I'm looking at the, the neck bones. What do we call those? Vertebrae. So the vertebrae and looking at the leg bones, looking at the hip, look at the tail bones. And all these pieces fit together perfectly um, to do what he had to do. So let's consider some of the clever design. How about in the hip? So here's a, here's a sauropod hip. And it has an arch shape, an arch on the top. And it reminds me of, and, and by the way, his femur bone, his leg bone, comes right up into that arch. Reminds me of the ancient arches that the Romans built. Here's the aqueducts in Ephesus. These are 2,000 years old, really well built, last a long time. But you have a pillar and then an arch to support a weight. So that's... Would you look at that and say, wow, millions of years of erosion, that's how you get those arches. Uh, no, that's clever design, but now try to build an arch where the bridge can walk around, a moving arch, and that's what dinosaurs were, sauropod dinosaurs. Uh, and then I look at these vertebrae. So the ver your vertebrae, okay, everybody show me where your vertebrae, if you're 10 or under, show me where your vertebrae are. It's right here. Okay, if someone... Okay, if you're 10 at heart, then show me, <laughs> there you go, vertebrae. So your vertebrae, if you were to take them out of your body, you'd see they were like blocks, like uh, solid, you know, so, so that you can jump and you can take all that pounding and all that weight. Uh, but these are not so. These are different. These have holes inside them, pits, divots, raised ridges, ridges raised at exactly the point where there's the most tension at exactly the point where you need the most support on those vertebrae. Clever design in those neck, sauropod necks. Uh, and so it's got hollow spaces. What if his vertebrae, or her, were solid? How would that change the life of Mr. or Mrs. Sauropod? Yeah, his, his neck would flop on the ground and he wouldn't be able to eat anything but worms. Well, then he'd have a hard time evolving. But it's all to make it lightweight. Lightweight so he can raise it up. Just like an airplane wing. You have to have lightweight but strong materials. But unlike an airplane wing, this thing could move. So it's even more clever design than an airplane wing. Uh, but it reminds me of my bicycle where I've got hollow tubes and a hollow chain ring to make my bicycle lightweight. Those are all features of clever design. So the more I look, the more I see clever design. And and man, I even noticed this placard at the Field Museum in Chicago where it was talking about this Brachiosaurus. Say that. That's a, what's one of these sauropods that's jacked up in the front. It's got tall front feet instead of uh, back feet. And um, it says this, sauropods were engineered. Oh, now you're on to something, guys. I said, yes, you got it right. It was engineered. And if I were to ask the scientists who put this together, who did the engineering? Who, what do you think they'd say? 
Evolution, natural selection, natural processes, nature worship is all it is. We're substituting nature for what only God can do. They were engineered. They recognize the engineering, but they don't credit the actual engineer of all things with the design. But they engineered for size. God did the engineering. Oh, there's a lot more I could talk about. Um, this is, what is this one? Probably maybe Argentinosaurus. I forget the names anymore, but uh, you see these little these bars. They're called cervical ribs. They're, they're like little strings. Oh, they're perfectly, that's the perfect size, length, and thickness to be um, uh, shock dampeners for its neck so he didn't have to spend energy. Otherwise, without these, he'd take a step and that motion would make his neck reverberate and he would never get his mouth around that leaf because he just kept shaking. So, but with these, it, he'd stop and then he just had a stiff, stiff neck and it was all passive just because of the, the cervical ribs here. Small head. Can you imagine a big giant T-Rex head on the end of that long neck? Boom, he'd fall down and it wouldn't work. Small brain, like his brain that was in his hip was bigger than the brain, the walnut-sized brain that was in his head. So everything made, so it's lightweight, so he can have, so he can live and move and do everything that he had to do. Jeez, the shock absorbers just reminds me of the clever design shock absorbers on my bicycle. You can tell I like bicycling. Um, and now, the ultimate clever design I can think of is, what am I holding here? That's a dinosaur egg. Dinosaur egg. And, um, you know, we can do some clever designs. We have, uh, we have cell phones, laptops. Man, this is some cleverly designed gizmos in our world. But take, take this. You design me something, kids, when you grow up and become engineers. Design me a cell phone that, that you, can put, uh, you can put down and you press a button and it makes a new cell phone. A baby cell phone. Copy yourself, please. Dee -dee -dee -dee. And it copies itself. And the little baby cell phone grows up to become a new and useful cell phone. That would be clever design. A machine that builds itself using parts of, in its environment, that's what babies are. So, man, you got your dinosaur here, and it just starts off something the size of your hand, but it grows into an adult that can copy itself. Machines that can copy themselves and make, make new ones, that is designed at a level that any human engineer just ogles at and could only dream about performing. Self-repairing machines. You take your laptop, laptop, oops, I dropped it. Press the repair button, stick it in the closet, a couple hours later, it's all brand new, it fixed itself. That's what our bodies do. That's when you break a bone, it heals. When you have a cut, it heals. And we know from the fossils that dinosaurs had healed broken bones. Um, they had um, healed diseases. So self-healing machines, that is clever design. And our God deserves all the credit for it. And it's what I should have been looking for all along, considering Genesis 1.25, which says, And God made, not nature made, God made the beasts of the earth after his kind. Um, so, if anything qualifies as a beast of the earth, I suggest ye old dinosaurs qualify. And I think that's where the dinosaurs came from. So, totally different answer than when I was at the museum when I was seven years old. They said, they came from reptiles millions of years ago. Well, if that's the case, why don't I, why don't I ever see nature making a new creature? It just never happens in the world. Why don't I see fossils that show in-between kinds? And I look in the fossils, it's either a triceratops, ceratopsian kind, multiple horns, but they have the same body shape, sauropod kind. There's 70, there's 70 different dinosaur kinds, and there's nothing in between those kinds. Uh, so, I don't, so anyway, um, God made the beast makes more sense of the fossils and the design. God made makes more sense of the design, the clever design. So that's the first dinosaur detail that I found that confirmed Genesis. Genesis got it right. God did it, not nature. And then the next dinosaur detail uh, I call catastrophic death. I know, kids, that's a big word, catastrophic. It's like four syllables. Um, catastrophic. That means horrendously terrible. It means a lot of pain and ouch. 
And death, of course, that's a sad, bad word. These things died. That's how we have fossils of them. So we have to look at the evidence we see in the ground. What do we see? Well, here's a sauropod. It's a smaller, long-necked version. Anyway, this guy is named, say it after me, Camarasaurus. Very good. And this one is on display at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. And uh, there it is. It's like, um, of course, it was deposited flat, but they tilted it up. They pulled the whole slab out with the carcass in it, the fossil in it, and they tilted it up and mounted it on the wall at the Carnegie Museum, and it is a spectacular fossil there. And so uh, it was uh, studied by a group of paleontologists, and they were really interested in its neck, specifically where the neck attaches to the head. Specifically, why is his head wrenched down like this? Do you see the, what I'm talking about? The neck, the head, it's wrenched down. It's kind of like, is that a natural position, or is, or is he in some kind of pain? So they analyzed the vertebrae in the neck, and here was their conclusion. Oh, there's the, okay, this is my photo I took and overlapped it on their photo just so I could zoom in on that neck. There. And here's their conclusion. The post-mortem dorsiflexion disarticulated the zygopophyses such that it was preserved in a pose that was unlikely attainable in life. And then, you know, when I read that, I thought, everybody knows that. <laughs> and then I went to the dictionary and looked up every single word. So it just means after he died, his neck broke. Well, why didn't they just say that? But here's what I'm talking about. Catastrophic death, not calm placid, like, you, like a, cow, a cow in the field. I'm an old cow. Moo. I guess I'm a British cow now for some reason. Moo. I'm going to lay down because I'm dying. And the cow lays down, and oh, how sad. That's placid, calm death. Um, but uh, these guys had catastrophic death because they were covered in mud and it broke their necks. This whole creature, his entire body, got warped. It's a, this is a, another uh, uh, Argentinian sauropod, and his entire spine is wrapped like a giant donut. So I, I, I said that once to, to a group, and the kid came up after the talk, like, I'm not going to be finished for another 30 minutes. And 30 minutes later, he came up and said, Did you say you had donuts? No, forget I said that. I'm talking about wrapping your body in a, in a loop, okay? He's, he's a catastrophic death there. Uh, ouch. Now, if you read the National Geographic uh, family book on dinosaurs, it says this about a particular dinosaur called, say it after me, Compsognathus. Compsognathus. Um, Compsognathus comp lived, well, stop right there. How do you know how he lived? Were you there? Now, we have its carcass that shows us something about how it died, but not how it lived. It could have lived way over here and died over there. It could have lived a nice happy life and died a nice catastrophic death. Anyway, we'll just let that one go. He lived, according to these guys who apparently were there, close to the shore of a calm lake. Calm down, we were there, and we know everything. After death, the animal's body sank to the bottom of the lake. Do you guys have lakes in California? You do? Have you been to the, have you, have you dug around in the bottom of a lake? Do fossils form in the bottom of lakes? When fish die, do they go, I'm a dead fish, I'm going to die now, and I'm going to form a fossil in the bottom of your lake? You don't know, do you? You're staring at me. I'm asking you a question. Okay, someone say no, because there ain't nothing in the bottom of the lake but a pile of mud, and it stinks. Ask me how I know sometime. I got lake stories. Looking for fossils down there, and it's just El Stinko um, and a bunch of mud. Yeah, so carcasses rot. That's what happens. Even a cow carcass. Cow in the field, what happens to his carcass? Scavengers. It rots. Um, it turns into nothing. Its body is completely recycled. Even a whale in the bottom of the ocean, first it floats and bloats and it becomes turtle food, and then what's left sinks, 
and little creatures devour it. And a 90-foot whale turns into nothing in a matter of just months. But in the fossils, we have whale fossils. We have dinosaur fossils. We have giant creatures that were completely preserved, overwhelmed before they could rot. Same with Compsognathus. But calm down. It was in a calm lake. And the calm waters ensured that the bones were not broken up before the process, which I guess they're going to tell us took millions of years of fossilization, could begin. Yeah, because it's because it, um, it can lay there for millions of years and not rot while fossilization takes. You've got to have fossilization fast or you're not going to get a fossil because that thing is going to rot before it gets fossilized. Anyway, um, there's the calm waters story. I don't buy that story. Here are two example compsognathid-type dinosaurs. One's from Europe and one is from China. And, um, I mean, everyone knows. I mean, just look at it. In, in the calm waters, in the calm lake took his head and calmly smashed it against his pelvis. I mean, look at that guy. Ouch! That is not calm. It's catastrophic, and it's everywhere. Every continent has these. So I'm at the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. Looking at this one, I thought, ooh, ouch, his neck is just bent back. And, uh, and the placard said, an agonizing death. And I thought, yes, you finally got it right. It's not calm. It's agonizing catastrophic. And then you read closer and it says, this dinosaur was probably choking to death. And I thought, yes, of course he's choking. He's drowning in mud. Probably choking because another dinosaur is clamped on his neck about to eat him. I said, what? I don't see any other dinosaur clamped on his neck, but he's covered with mud that turned into stone. How long does that take, by the way, for sediments to solidify? Well, we learned Mount St. Helens blew up, 1980. Two years later, 1982, a secondary eruption carved through all the layers that had just been deposited two years earlier, carving what? A deep canyon through solid rock, sedimentary rock that had formed in fewer than two years. Doesn't take a lot of time, just takes a big catastrophe, catastrophic death. Oh, I'm back at the Field Museum in Chicago looking at the uh, most famous, probably, T-Rex, nicknamed Sue, big, impressive specimen. I mean, this is a monstrous T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus rex. And uh, the one on the top that I've got pictured here is um, reconstructed to where its anatomy would have been. The one in the glass box that the other, the, the guy and the gal are looking at, that's the actual fossil from the ground in a glass box so that we can all worship, I mean, uh, examine it. And so there's, oh, holy Sue. But uh, notice the difference in its nose bridge. Do you, that's a question. Do you notice the difference in its nose? Yeah, there's a difference. So the one on the top is straight, like it would have been in life, but something's wrong with the real one. Something bent it. And I wanted to know, what was that? Why is the nose bent? And these two people are looking at this sign that explains why its nose is bent and broken, and they just look at it, and they're like, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. And they walk around, and we trade places. And I took a picture of this sign. Here's what the sign said, literally. Crushed nose. Ah, yes, this is what I want to learn about. When Sue was found, her pelvis was resting on top of her snout. Ouch! Though it may sound odd. Why, yes, it does, because that does not happen today. <laughs> Discovering a theropod dinosaur in this death pose is common. Calm down, it's common. Now, uh, if it's odd just happening once, it's even more odd happening all over the place. Now I'm really odded out. Um, this pose may be caused by muscle spasms. Because every time I have a muscle spasm, it breaks my nose on my pelvis. <laughs> what storytelling is this? And I'm laughing, and I'm on my knees in the middle of this museum laughing. Muscle spasms! <laughs> And the people are like, back away, just back away. I'm a real scientist, I promise. You'd never know it. Now, now muscle spasms, maybe they did have some muscle spasms, but it's going to be hard to break your nose on your hip if you're just with a muscle spasm. That's all I'm saying. So why are we telling these stories? Well, you got T-Rex over here, T-Rex over there, and it's seven tons of go-anywhere bulldozer animal, 
and he got bulldozed along with all these other sauropods mixed with sharks. Sharks? That's right. Sea creatures, shells, are in all the dinosaur layers. Sea creatures mixed with swamp creatures. Every single continent, even Antarctica, has dinosaur fossils. It's catastrophic, it's death, it's watery, it's muddy, it's a mixture of different environments, and it's Noah's flood. It's on every continent. What does the Bible say? The whole world was flooded. What would we expect to find if the whole world was flooded? Sea creatures mixed with swamp creatures and all kinds of different creatures. Birds, sky creatures dropping down into this pile of mud. It was a rough time. I'm so glad I was not alive and outside the ark when Noah got on. Because if you weren't on that ark, you, um, you had to suffer a catastrophic death. And it reminds me, by the way, the Lord Jesus, he suffered a catastrophic death. And he did it so that you didn't have to. Um, but this is what I should have been expecting to find uh, based on Genesis 7 that talks about the flood. Genesis 6, 7, and 8, and a little bit of 9 talks about the flood. It says this about the flood itself, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. So now our skeptic friends who don't want to believe the Bible in the first place because they would rather go live the way they want to live and not have accountability to a creator, they look at this and go, ha ha, there's no way to get enough water to cover the Himalayas and the Rocky Mountains. And your Bible says that all the high hills were covered with water. And that's not possible, therefore the Bible's wrong, so now I get to chunk the Bible in the trash and I get to go live the way I want to live. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. What, which high hills are these? Did it say the high hill? This says the high hills of the pre-flood world. Those are the high hills they're talking about. Look at the narrative. It's, 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 in the, pre, it's the world that they're living in. And so the, the Himalayas and the Rockies, they didn't even exist yet. Those were produced by the colliding continents that happened during the flood. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 verifies this, saying uh, uh, that um, the world that then was perished, being overflowed with water. So the waters prevailed and all flesh died that moved on the earth. So this is the, the high hills in the pre-flood world. Those were covered and every creature died. So how did they die? They drowned. It's catastrophic death. That's why we find evidence of catastrophic death on every continent. I think the dinosaur fossils were flood fossils. Flood fossils. I think it's Noah's flood explains the fossils way better than any explanation that I've heard from any of my secular colleagues. Well, that means you got to have some dinosaurs somehow survive the flood and live after. I mean, don't you? Or do? Well, see, it was the fish. The fish didn't get on the ark. We didn't need fish on the ark, did we? No, no fish. They can just survive in the in the water. Some of them didn't. In fact, most of them did not. Um, land animals. If it lives on land, it needs to be on the ark. So dinosaurs had legs. So I figure they could walk on land, so they probably went on board Noah's Ark. Isn't that weird to think of? Some of us think, think that way, though. Dinosaurs alive on Noah's Ark, which was, means they would live on the earth after the Ark landed. But they've gone extinct since then. So now where do I look for evidence in our past that dinosaur-like creatures might have lived with early humans, post-flood human, descendants of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, I look in our ancestors' history. I look at the artwork that they did. They did things like this in Mesopotamia where they've got this little cylinder seal. They would roll it out on a piece of clay, and um, it's got the, the shape of, of this creature with long necks intertwined and legs that go straight down, long tails. Looks very much like a sauropod-type dinosaur to me. Um, how did they get this idea way, way back then, 2000 B.C.? Uh, how did they get this idea that looks so much like what we now know from fossils unless they had seen something like that alive? Now, this is 1400s, so medieval, but it's in England, and I went there. I went to Carlisle Cathedral to take pictures of this. Um, we call it Bishop Bell's Brass Behemoths. Brass Behemoths, because Bishop Bell has a tomb. He, uh, he was right in the middle of the church, like right in the aisle. That's where they buried their pastors. It's kind of strange. And he was underneath a carpet, and I asked the rector, that's what they call the 
holy fellows over there. Dear rector, would you please move the carpet so I can look under and examine the fine artwork of your, you know. So, so it's this brass um, decoration that wraps around his, um, his burial place there in the, in the middle of the church, the cathedral. And um, you see regular old animals like, like foxes, eels, birds. And then there's this, two creatures, legs that go straight down, uh, long necks with intertwined. Now, you, it's, it's been rubbed out. The faces and heads have been mostly rubbed out because people walk to get to their pews in church. So they were, they were walking on top of these. So it's, it's got two or three hundred years of, uh, of foot traffic on it, and that's why it's rubbed out. Now, look at the one on the left. So long tails, long necks. It's looking very sauropodian to me. But the one on the left has four little tail spikes. Tail spikes. Did sauropod dinosaurs have spikes on their tails? Well, we didn't know they did until the 1990s, and we found, for example, Shunosaurus, a Chinese sauropod, with tail spikes. How many tail spikes did the fossil show? Count them, four. So these guys knew that some sauropods had four tail spikes. I think here's what happened. Back in the 1400s when they were carving this, they jumped in their time machine, went forward in time to the 1990s, read the technical journal articles that talked about the discovery of Shunosaurus with four tail spikes, got back in their time machine, went back to the 1400s and carved it out just so they would know exactly what it was like. Do you buy that? No, nope, I don't either because I've never heard of a time machine, but there it is. There's the, Shunos, there's the Bishop Bell. That was his name, Brass Behemoth. Uh, here's a, 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 the Narmer palette. It's Egyptian, and it's got long necks, these creatures with long necks, celebrating how great the Pharaoh is. Look at me. I can tame the greatest, biggest, baddest beast that's out there. And then we have um, Chateau du Chambord in France. Haven't been there yet, but friends of mine have, and they've taken, it's got covered with hundreds of these, these um, creatures, scaly, reptile, long neck creatures, and... Um, it, 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 looks, it looks certainly like um, dinosaurs that we know from, uh, from fossils. And uh, this one looks like a myosaur. The baby one does. The, the big one, I'm not sure what it, what it was or if we even found the fossil that resembles this one. But do you see the baby one? It's sort of in the weeds. The little, it's a little cute dinosaur. You could have him as a dinosaur pet. Wouldn't that be fun? You could cuddle with your baby dinosaur. And then he would grow up and eat you. Wouldn't that be great? No, it would not be great. Shown here in a swamp-like environment, and we know from fossils that dinosaurs were buried with um, swamp animals and, and uh, wetlands, wetland uh, plants, fossils. They're buried there with them. So this, is, this was done. This is uh, Chateau du Blois. So it's in the Blois Valley of uh, France. It was once a swamp. They drained the swamp in the... Um, in the Middle Ages, but um, before then, it was uh, it was a it was a big happy hunting ground. So the, these uh, these um, this was a hunting castle, okay. And so they they found these. Now here's one in in um, okay downloading. We're in Barcelona now, and this is a uh, it's called an altarpiece. It's made of cloth. It's a cloth. Um, Depiction of St. George and the Dragon. Oh, man. St. George and the Dragon depictions are everywhere. It's pictures, carvings, wood carvings. But every time you see a different dragon. And so that's a mystery. But this particular dragon is unique for a St. George depiction. And it's got these teeth that are really long, and they go outside of its mouth. So that if he were to close his mouth, the teeth would stick out. Um, this is a Nothosaurus, guys. Nothosaurus is not even a dinosaur. It's in, it's in Triassic layers found below where the di most of the dinosaur fossils are. But it's an extinct marine, uh, extinct um, uh, reptile. So how did they know back in the Middle Ages the exact body ratios, the exact shape and even size of Nothosaurus unless they had seen one still alive when they were making this artwork hundreds of years ago? And by the way, if you've got a Nothosaurus in your backyard... Do you have kids? You do have kids? Yeah. And so when, you, when your kids were, are your kids growing up or are they all grown? They're grown. They're grown. Okay, rewind the clock, and they're, they're, they're back when they were six, and they're playing in the backyard. Nothosaurus. Here comes Nothosaurus. Dad, what do you do? 
run. <laughs> there goes Johnny. He's Nothosaurus dinner. Nice job, Dad. You get one more guess. <laughs> Nothosaurus, what do you do? What do you, Dad, what do you do? You get your spear, you get your neighbors, you get your clubs, you get your AK 47s, and you take care of the Nothosaurus. So I think they drained the swamps of these threatening creatures one by one. One by one, they lost their habitat and they lost their livelihood because they were threatening. That's how, that's how animals go extinct today. People move in, get rid of the threats, and uh, there, goes the, there goes the creature. So anyway, clashes with dragons is my, um, thir my third uh, dinosaur detail. And I thought, man, the museum lady never said anything about this. The, uh, I had to dig these up on my own, and this is just a taste. There's a lot more artwork that shows that our ancestors... They even used the word dragon. The word dragon is in the King James Version 17 times. So who, 1611, they, you know, 1611, they translated King James. They used the word dragon as though it was a real animal. Because to them, it was a real animal. Because they knew it as a, as a real creature. Um, now, I'm not saying that every depiction of some strange reptile was a dinosaur. There's some that are just wackadoodle doodles. Uh, but certain of them have very specific anatomies that resemble exactly what we know from fossils. And that shows to me that these creatures were alive after the flood. Some dinosaurs were alive after the flood for a time. I think they're gone now, but I think they were alive in the ice age when Job was writing chapter, God was telling this to Job in Job chapter 40 during the ice age uh, after the flood, guys. It says, look now at the behemoth. Behemoth, what is that? Well, he, got, he made it. He said, made along with you. I made along with you on day six of creation week. I made animals and man. See now, his strength is in his hips. Now you, so, now you see why I showed you the picture of the hips, of the sauropod hips. Um, he moves his tail like a cedar. Cedar. So what animal alive today has a cedar tree for a tail? Zero. But um, this is a big animal. And in some of the translation notes in our Bibles, if you look at the bottom, this is the uninspired part of your Bible. It's just some notes that someone wrote in there, and it says, possibly a, uh, possibly a hippopotamus or elephant. So I went to the zoo in Dallas. I'm going to look at the hippopotamus and see what its tail looks like and see if it looks like a cedar tree. And I saw something at the zoo that I wish I could unsee with all of my might. And he come out, out of that swampy, he came, there's like a little wet thing there. He comes out of the swamp puddle, and he, he uh, distributed fertilizer across the yard. And he used this little flap-like tail, and it was like, <laughs> distribution device. Absolutely disgusting. But in no way like any kind of a tree. It didn't move like a tree, it didn't look like a tree, it certainly didn't smell like a tree. Not a hippo. This creature had a long, big tail. And now we've learned from anatomy studies of the fossils of some of these creatures that um, uh, the, the Diplodocus, for example, he, he was able to use his tail uh, like a tripod, and he could use it as a third leg to support himself. So he, it would have kind of been like a tree planted back there, and he could raise up like this and reach 100 feet in the air if he were to uh, raise his neck and had to get branches or whatever he needed to do back when he was alive before the flood, and apparently after the flood too. Uh, the river rages, and he's not, he's not disturbed, and it says in Scripture here in Job chapter 40, he is the chief of the ways of God, the biggest creature God ever made, and uh, alive after the flood, but not today. All right, now the last two, um, the last two uh, dinosaur details are pretty sciencey. so put on your science hat. Sorry, put on your science lab coat. Lab coat, there we go. Collagen, who's heard of collagen? Have you heard of it? Yes, you have. If you're not raising your hand, it's probably because you're lazy, because I know you've heard of it. You saw it in the grocery store. You take collagen supplements. Well, collagen is a protein. It's what makes your skin tough. It's tough skin. You could pinch your skin right now just to prove that collagen is tough. Also to prove that you have nerves. Ouch. Well, collagen does, does last a long time. 
I've got a picture of one collagen molecule. Every little bubble in the top of there is representing a single atom. So scientists have worked out the structure of collagen. And at the, and at the bottom, I've got a little scroll, a little tiny picture of a Dead Sea Scroll. Wait, can I zoom in on that? Yeah, yeah. That's a Dead Sea Scroll. And so that's made of animal skin, which is collagen. It's like 99% collagen that right there. That's been in the ground, or it's been in the, the, dead, the dead Sea uh, caves at Qumran for 2,000 or more years. So, or so anyway, it can last a long time. And um, in fact, we, it can last, in theory, in bone, it can last maybe, if it's kept really cold, as long as 900,000 years in theory. So not even a million years. So what if we see collagen inside a dinosaur? We would have to say that that dinosaur with collagen in it can't be even one million years old. That means it could be, it could be thousands, but it can't be a million, and it can't be millions. And so, of course, what am I going to show you? Collagen inside dinosaur and other bones. So here is the actual T-Rex head associated with the, with the, um, with the femur uh, that was published. The, fe the femur was cracked open, and uh, they, they dissolved the mineral. And these, these are the tissues that they found and published in the journal Science in 2005. So connective tissue, still there. And it's still blood red. I mean, and that's from hemoglobin. They found hemoglobin and collagen, two different short-lived proteins. And um, if you can look there really closely, you can see a tiny little blood vessel with little red dots in it. What do you call that, those little red dots in blood vessels? I mean, I call them red blood cells. They call them red blood cell-like elements, something like that. Because how do you get a dinosaur red blood cell to last for 80 million years, 70 million or whatever they assigned the age to this one? Uh, it's, it can't happen. This should be gone, gone, dust. But it's still there. Well, that was just one. Maybe that's just maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe they dropped their lunch in the test tube, and it's not really from the dinosaur. Um, and I talked to the guy from Smithsonian who actually said that, and I <clears throat> went away chuckling. But uh, there, there's a lot more. So here's they went back. The same team went back to and found a hadrosaur. Say that hadrosaur. That's a duckbill dinosaur. They were 40 feet long, nose to tail. Here I am standing next to a hadrosaur leg. They, they opened the femur of a hadrosaur from a different rock formation, and they found the same kind of tissues. Collagen, that's what makes up blood vessels. It's made of collagen, protein, with little red blood cells in it and bone cells. Wow, there's more. It's adding up. Here's a uh, mosasaur. Is this mosasaur? Yeah. Anyway, it's on display at the L.A. County Natural History Museum, is that what it's called? Anyway, I was there at the L.A. County. I studied this first in the journal um, in 2010 when this paper came out, and there's this little patch right there in its chest. You see the little chest of the rib cage? And it's a red, it's a red patch, and these, these uh, scientists wanted to know what makes it red. Is it like iron that came in there? And they, um, they found that it was actual, uh, they called it decayed hemoglobin fragments. It's still there. It's hemoglobin. That's what's causing it to be red. Exactly positioned where the heart is in a dolphin or, you know, in, in, in animals that have a streamlined body for swimming. This was not a dinosaur. It was a marine reptile, mosasaur. So I was there, and I, I, it's on display in this giant case, and it's got a thick plexiglass top, and I, did, I was not expecting it to be there, but I had already studied it in the journal, and I saw it, and I was like, this is it. Guys, this is the Mosasaur. Guys, this is it. i got to take a picture of this. And of course, people are like backing away again. And my buddy, uh, Dr. Lyle, was there, and, and, and I turned on my phone, my camera rather, and it said, battery dead. And I was like, no, i got to have a picture of my Mosasaur with the heart that's still in it. He said, don't worry, I've got my iPhone. So this is his iPhone photo of me pointing to the, the Mosasaur heart. This came from Kansas, because as we all know, giant dragons swam in Kansas. Talk about a worldwide flood. I mean, this is a giant chalk formation that covers the central U.S., and it's got all kinds of sea creatures in it. That's flood evidence, and it's recent flood. Bible says Noah's flood would have happened 4,500 or so years ago, thousands, not millions. 
And so I'm looking at flood fossils, and they formed recently, just like the Bible says. Like this is still red, and it's tissue from the bone of a triceratops. Um, here's more triceratops tissue, still squishy, still icky, probably still stinky. And then here's more published from a dinosaur claw taken from Canada. And these are fibers that they found, collagen fibers, protein fibers still in there. We found a hundred of these examples in the scientific literature. And like I said this morning, I got a PhD in this because it was so interesting to me. And I wanted to know how long can collagen last? 900 years, 900,000 years, maximum shelf life. So how do we explain collagen in dinosaur bones and other bones? Well, one way to explain it is to have it not be millions of years old. That explains it. If it's, if it's actually Noah's flood, if it's actually thousands, not millions of years old, then we have no problems with the decay science or the observational science of collagen. Well, Jesus um, had something to say about the age of the earth being young. He said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Who's he talking about, the male and the female? Is it me or are you guys like... Super quiet. Yeah, it's Adam and Eve. I know it's an obvious question, but it just helps me to know that you're with me if you actually respond to my questions. And the two shall become one flesh. He did not say this, but billions of years after the Big Bang beginning, God made them male and female. He didn't say that because it didn't happen. Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 1 as though it actually happened the way it says it happened. Then Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, and the two shall be one flesh as though that happened exactly the way it says it happened. And I think Jesus was right. Um, and I think the science backs him up. Thousands, not millions. So that's what the Scripture teaches, 6,000-year-old world, and I think science backs it up. So does the science of carbon decay. There's a ver version of carbon, an isotope called carbon-14. Its shelf life is even shorter than collagen at 100,000 years absolute max shelf life. So if you see carbon-14 in something, you can conclude it's thousands, not millions of years old. We found it in this dinosaur bone. This is a hadrosaur vertebra, um, and we sent it into a lab for carbon analysis, radiocarbon analysis. By the way, you supported us with that work. It's all of what we do at ICR is donor-supported. We have no, that's how, that's how we earn. We don't earn money on book sales. We just break even, but it's people who are passionate about creation research, passionate about examining how the world matches the word and that's how we're able to do these kinds of analyses. Uh, I got a triceratops brow horn core. The brow is this, right? The horn, he had a brow horn. Well, the horn is now gone. That was made of, you know, keratin protein. But the core of it was a bone. So we took that bone, took a section of it, sent it off to a lab, actually three times, to different labs, and they kept finding and reporting back to us, yes, there is radiocarbon in here. And as though it's thousands, not millions of years old, uh, we even got a partnership with um, with this. This is Jurassic, so it's supposed to be, you know, uh, 160 million years old or whatever. And we got a piece of this very fossil here from the Carnegie Museum. We sent it off. We weren't expecting anything, but sure enough, it had radiocarbon in it in that Diplodocus uh, fossil. We found some in. Name this dinosaur. Yes, Stegosaurus, found some radiocarbon in that. We found some in coal. Did a long, lots of study called the RATE Project. It's published on our website, icr.org slash rate. You can read books on it. It's all free online where we, we found radiocarbon in coal. You know, coal is supposed to be 220 million years old, but it's got radiocarbon in it as though it's thousands, not millions of years old. Well, I think the flood explains coal. How do you get a bunch of dead plant matter laid out flat like that and covered with a slab of mud like a pancake the size of a state or half a, half a continent? So uh, then we found it in diamonds. And um, these secular authors, Taylor and Southon, they verified our results. They got really curious about our results, so they went back and tested their own diamonds and found radiocarbon in their diamonds also. So carbon decay verifies the recent creation that we're talking about. But let's wrap it up. Those are my five dinosaur details. Cl clever design. Uh, what's the next one? This is the death symbol. Catastrophic death, okay? Clashes with dragons. And then we have 
collagen decay, and then carbon decay. So when I consider um, clever design, I think the Bible got it right. Genesis got it right about creation. When I consider catastrophic death, I think Genesis, the flood of Genesis got it right. And when I consider clashes with dragons, I think Job got it right. There were dinosaurs alive after the flood, so I can trust the Bible. And then when I look at the collagen decay and the carbon decay, I think it all happened recently. Science, we have these time clocks that show that it's easier now than ever to believe the earthly things in the Bible, which means it's easier than ever to believe the heavenly things that are in the Bible. The earthly things like the earth was created, like the earth was flooded. Uh, If you believe those things, it's real easy to believe that you're a sinner and that we need salvation. It's the same Bible, and and it all tells the same story. So we we believe John 3.12, and we can show you these things at our Discovery Center and want to make you aware of the resources that we have, including this family book, Guide to Dinosaurs, um, Dinosaurs in the Bible. You see it on the right? That's the book I wrote for my dad, who passed away in December, and um, he got to read part of it before he passed away, and he, he had an experience with the Lord, and, and um, uh, so we, we praise the Lord for the way he's used uh, this book, Dinosaurs in the Bible, to show people how, yeah, these, these features, clever design and radiocarbon decay, it's in my little book. It's like a booklet, so it's easy to read. People like to read that one. Of course, we have it for kids, and if you've got other questions, like, what about the Ice Age? Like, how did that happen? How does carbon dating work? You're going to want creation basics and beyond, uh, books, books like that. And of course, we have tons of free resources at icr.org. And I have had fun with you, you know, for the most part, uh, talking about and thinking about uh, dinosaurs and how they point to uh, creation. Guys, I'm serious. It's, the science really supports Scripture. And you can trust God and take Him at His word 100%. Thanks.